We do not know or leverage all of the skills, experiences, passions, and interests of our employees. Welcome to Future Work, the podcast where we bring you practical tips and insights on the ever-evolving landscape of work. Join us as we explore the trends, innovations, and challenges shaping the way we work today and tomorrow. Hey everyone, welcome back to Future Work. Today we're joined by Edie Goldberg. Edie is the founder and president of EL Goldberg & Associates. She is nationally recognized expert in talent management and the future of work. And her practice focuses on designing human resource processes and programs to attract, engage, develop and retain employees. Her clients are from all industries, from Fortune 10 companies all the way down to startups like ours. And before starting her own firm over 20 years ago, Edie was a global thought leader in the human capital practice at Towers Perrin. In addition to her strategic advisory work, she is also the chair of the board for the SHRM Foundation and a member of the board of advisors for three HR technology companies. So welcome, Edie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you today. Super excited to have you here, and I've been reading your articles, I've been listening to other interviews that you've done, and I just know that there's a ton of knowledge here that I cannot wait to share with our audience. In the intro, I just mentioned that you're very focused on designing programs and processes that help companies attract and engage and develop and retain employees. How has that changed over time and how should companies look at that differently in 2023 and specifically for our audience, which are often managers in organizations where they may not be able to dictate the big processes and the big programs, what can they do differently now? You know, I think what employees really want from their workplace, right? They want purpose and meaning. Like I come to work to do something that has some sort of meaning and to that end, they just want to have impact. It might be I have a positive impact on my team. It might be I have a positive impact on our project. It might be I have a positive impact in the world. But people just, they want to make an impact. They want to do mm. something important. They also want to learn and grow as individuals. That's very motivating. Years ago, you heard you know Dan Pink wrote a book called Drive, and he talked about autonomy, yeah. mastery, and purpose, mm. right? So purpose I already talked about. And that mastery piece is really all about continuing to learn and grow. And that is very motivating. So, you know, yes, managers, you don't have to create some big new process uh, within your company, but helping your employees to continuously learn is really important. And related to that is people want a place that they can belong. Hmm. You know, so this is my team. This is my company. That's why company culture is so important. It's it's something that I belong to, something that I fit in with. And we've seen certainly over the last couple of years, belonging take on a much bigger role in, you know, what is it that employees are seeking from a company and what's important to employees. Why is belonging growing in importance for companies? Well, first off, we're seeing more diversity across organizations. So mm. helping people feel like they belong. The other thing is because in the past, obviously, three plus years, we have moved to remote and hybrid work environments. 
we're not together like we used to be all the time. Mm. And that remote work situation can create a feeling of being disconnected if you're not really paying attention to it. Yeah. And so that sense of belonging is creating that the culture, the glue that holds everybody together to create that sense of I belong here. This is my team. This is the work that we're doing collectively. You know, this is why goals are so important because they bring people together to focus everybody around a common objective. You know, it's a shared accomplishment and impact that we get to have together. And all of that, you know, comes together to create this motivational scent with employees. And also it's that stickiness, it's the glue that helps people feel like this is my tribe, if you will. This, these are my people. I enjoy coming to work because I get to work with cool people doing important things. Yeah, totally. And that also links to your purpose and it links to the impact that you want to make and the growth that you want to see for yourself as a person, as a professional. And that doesn't sound that difficult. But when I think about goal setting and maybe OKRs, you know, it seems like, again, like these really big things that a company has to do, maybe with a consultancy over a really long period of time. Are these some things that managers can tap into to create a better employee experience, you know, just within their own team? There's been some really great research from the Gallup organization talking mm. about, you know, what drives employee engagement and yeah. related to this issue around, you know, setting goals. And when managers sit down and have conversations with their employees about what they're trying to create or achieve and where they really need help and then help them achieve that objective. Mm. You know, this is what drives performance in an organization. This is what drives motivation. So if I just give you a set of goals and I don't talk to you about that till the end of the year, uh, those goals aren't really motivating. But if I'm having regular conversations with you and they're meaningful conversations mm. about mm. your performance, how things are going, what's getting in the way of you being able to do your best work, What's yeah. getting in the way of you being able to achieve the goals that you've set out for yourself or that we've set as a team? Those kinds of conversations, meaningful conversations, drive employee engagement and therefore drive performance, which is what the managers and leaders care about. So it's really a well-embedded system, but having those kinds of conversations is what managers can do to both drive the productivity of their team and create a meaningful work environment for employees. I think that's so fascinating because I'm thinking about this idea of goals that are intrinsically motivating, right? So you're not talking about the externalities of a salary and benefits and whatever engagement activities that you're doing. You're just talking about the work itself should already be engaging and should be meaningful. But then I just think back about the average manager or a normal manager. Is everyone equipped to sit down and have a conversation about goals, especially first-time manager? Is that something that you learn over time? How do you get there? That is a huge issue. Most managers don't have the skill sets 
to mm-hmm. have those kinds of conversations with their employees. They aren't necessarily selected to be a manager because of their great managerial yeah. and selected because yeah. they're great technical leaders. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we don't necessarily recognize and reward them for their great management skills. We Mm. recognize and reward them for getting things done. So it's like 90% of your time is spent on individual contributor work. 10% of your time is spent managing your employees. Yeah. We really do need to change or be more clear about the expectations of the role of a manager Mm. and then provide managers with the training that they need to be successful in that position and then recognize and reinforce them for the behaviors of a manager. It's about getting work done through people, not doing the work yourself. Yes, but that's always a hard shift to make, right? Because like you said, you're coming from the individual contributor role, you're doing great work, and then at some point says, you're doing such great work that we're now going to distract you by having to manage people. That's a really difficult transition to make. And then I'm wondering, especially for managers that are in organizations where they're not being equipped and they're not being trained to become a really great manager, where would they get those insights? Like where would they learn how to be a better manager? Or like you said, what is management even to, to start with? So there are so many things in there. One is I don't think we provide enough training to managers mm. on how to be effective in that role. In particular, in the last couple of years, when we switched to these hybrid and remote type work situations, we didn't teach managers how to operate in those new environments. And that did managers and employees a huge disservice. But we can provide them with perspective, with tools, with training, mm. ideas mm. about how to manage in these different environments. So yeah. training, I think, is is absolutely critical. Mm. But there is something about the structure of the job. In fact, a, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book. And one of the things I talk about in the book, because it's all about the future of work and how work mm. has to change, is we should be looking at the role of the manager and perhaps thinking about breaking it down into two jobs. One is the leader of the work and the other is the leader of the people. Ooh, I love that. Can we double click on that? That sounds really interesting. The leader of the work is the person perhaps who has that deep technical expertise, who's in charge of leading the project to achieve things. But the leader of the people is somebody with a different set of skills. They're the people who are interested, inherently interested in an employee's growth and development and talking to them about their performance, not necessarily on just one team, but maybe across many teams, because maybe I work with more than one leader of the work. Maybe I work on several projects and they all have project leaders. So now, if you will, career manager or my personnel manager or whatever labeled people manager is really just focused on helping me understand my performance, how to move my performance forward and how to move my career in a way I want to learn and grow. But leading the work and leading the career are two different things and require different skill sets. And so I'm proposing that as we look at the future of work, we might think of breaking down this role that we've traditionally called manager, Mm -hmm. think about dissecting it into its parts where we can leverage the best skills of people in the right way. 
That sounds like such a great idea. And I hope that companies can embed that in their organizations because you hear so much about how the leader of the future, the manager of the future needs to be more like a coach and they need to be empathetic and all these things. That's only really for a very small percentage of people. Of course, there are some things that you can train and there are certain skills that you can learn. But that kind of, you know, having that intrinsic motivation to be that coach for people and to sit down with people and to slow things down and to get people towards their goals and the impact they want to make, that's really not for everyone. That is really like a very specific profile of people that could do that. Yeah, I don't want to be overly stereotypical here. I happen to live and work in the heart of Silicon Valley where there are a lot of engineers who have mm-hmm, a lot mm-hmm. of really great technical skills, but perhaps... That did come to mind, yes. <laughs> many of them are introverts, and that idea of coaching and developing my staff is mm. not really my strong suit or actually my interest. And so I think it's really recognizing and letting people lean into their strengths and not making them take on work that drains them. So yep. maybe that managerial work is really the bane of their existence. You know, so if we can look at work and we can parse it out so that people can lean into their skills, their expertise, their passions, their interests, then maybe we can think about doing that work differently. That makes so much sense, Edie. I think this is such a great, great idea. Another thing that you just mentioned is I could be working for several managers. I could be doing different projects. One of the things I'm extremely fascinated about is how maybe in the future of work, we don't have a full-time job anymore, or we split ourselves in multiple parts within an organization, or we may combine that with running a small startup on the side, or doing something entrepreneurial, or working for an NGO, or supporting a friend with a business. What could that look like, this sort of like fragmented uh, future of work? So I mentioned earlier that I wrote a book three years ago called The Inside Gig, which really kind of plays into this concept. Mm. And it really kind of leverages off, obviously, the external gig economy, where today people look for projects that match their skills and interests, and they can opt into those projects. And there is a transaction involved. I pay you to get that work done. But I think that we can actually apply that concept within a company as well. That's why my book is called The Inside Gay. We do not know or leverage all of the skills, experiences, passions, and interests of our employees. Mm. We hire people into a job, and then we put them in this box, right? Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. your job. And these are the things that you do. And these are, frankly, the people that you work with. And it really limits them, individuals, from really leveraging all the skills and experiences that they have to contribute to the company's success. It also inhibits them from being able to demonstrate their interest in another area of the business to learn something new, maybe something that's of growing importance to the company. So my concept is if we can fractionalize some of the work that we do, Today, Mm. we already work on project teams. I mean, this isn't any tremendously new, but if we give employees some time to opt into projects that they're interested in, either because, you know, you hire me when I worked for Towers Parent, I was in the human capital practice. They also had a measurement practice. It just Mm. so happens that I have eight semesters of advanced statistical training, and I happen to be a deep, deep expert in research. 
So I could very easily have worked on a project in this other part of the organization, but never was I ever considered for any of that work, even though research was my first love, because I didn't work in that part of the business. But I could have had a value. And when they needed to get a project done and they perhaps didn't have anybody in my office that could do that work, they could have leveraged me. Totally. And I would have tapped into your passion and into your interest and it would totally have helped in retaining you within the company. Would have made so much sense. So why not? That was not the box that I sat in. So I just think that we have a great opportunity to tap into more energy Hmm. and enthusiasm of our employees to help them learn and grow by allowing people to work on different teams with different people. We simply learn and grow when we work with people who work differently from us, right? Totally, yeah. So the idea of doing project-based assignments within a company or small internal gigs, what I call it, I think that provides an opportunity where employees can work. A great story, kind of how this concept is evolving. Tata Communications in India has a program where if you've been working for some period of time and you decide that maybe you don't want to work full time, you can choose the number of hours that you want to work and then you can work on project-based assignments. Hmm. Or let's say you are a new parent and you've taken maternity or paternity leave and you want to come back. You don't necessarily, you're not ready to come back full time. You can come back and work on projects. Yeah. Let's say the world is getting older. There are a lot of people who still want to work that don't want to retire because we're living longer. Mm. There are ways in which we can help people work on projects where they can contribute their skills, but not necessarily be working in a full-time role. So I think it really opens up the possibilities about how we can better track talent, retain talent, access the talent that we need by thinking about work doesn't always have to be a job. We're definitely on the same page there that, you know, we have this preconceived notion of what is a job and what is a role and that needs to go out of the window because people are unique human beings and we need to integrate work and life better and we need to make sure that, you know, we can adapt the job to our liking and to our life and not the other way around. And I think that's the age that we live in and it makes so much sense. Another really big topic, obviously, that is coming up a lot now, and especially within our context, is hybrid and remote work. We've seen a lot of research. We just released some research recently. We've seen a lot of research that when you embrace a hybrid model, when you embrace a remote model, which, again, allows people to work more flexibly, to tailor the work more towards their life, to make sure that the things that they want to do and still make a living, that a lot of things that we care about improve like engagement and productivity and retention but there's still so many companies that are holding back do you have any sense for why that is because you're doing the consulting and i'm sure you're talking to a lot of people what is sort of that thing that's standing in the way of companies fully embracing a more distributed way of working and i think you have some practical experience right in managing remotely so yeah so the one ties back to our earlier conversation about management skills When we flipped the switch literally overnight to working remotely, 
There are some research that said only about 30% of companies trained managers how to operate in that way. Even that strikes me as high, to be honest. That's, that's higher than I would have thought. Yeah, <laughs> It may be. It may be. So managers who aren't very good at doing managing job to begin mm. with, all of a sudden were thrown into this very difficult position of managing remotely. And they just needed more support than they got. So that's yeah. one reason. And I think, you know, companies are basically pulling back because that's hard. It's the right thing to do, yeah. but it's hard yeah. and some investment to get it right. The second thing that I see, particularly in my US-based clients, is a trust issue. You know, there are some employees who are just knocking it out of the park and they're doing a great job and they're really productive, right? I mean, all the research has said mm -hmm. productivity went up across the board, but there are still some employees where productivity didn't go up or productivity went up, but the manager said, oh, it's because they had access to this technology. And I'm not quite sure it was because of them or because of the technology. Like they discounted what the employees were doing. Mm. And I can't see it. Therefore, I can't manage it. Therefore, I'm not sure that they're working. Yeah. Speaking to a C-suite executive the other week, and he said, I call them find them Fridays. Everybody works remotely on Fridays. Is anybody actually working? Can you actually pick up a phone and call anyone and actually get them? Or, oh, I was walking my dog or whatever it is. So I think for, particularly from senior management, there's a lack of trust. Hmm. This is a real problem and we have to figure out how to overcome it. And this is research from Microsoft and it's absolutely fascinating because they actually use their own technology to understand exactly what was happening. But it's a concern about innovation. Mm -hmm. So we were connecting with our intact teams and those bonds got to be really strong. Mm -hmm. And that was really great. Except for what happened was we became insular yep. and we stopped connecting with people outside of our regular team. Yep. And so that cross-pollination of ideas, the serendipitous meetings that people always talk about, I, that's actually not necessarily how innovation happens. Innovation is actually tends to be a bit more purposeful, mm -hmm. but innovation does happen when people from different backgrounds come together to talk on a particular topic. And particularly during the pandemic, that wasn't happening because I was sticking with my work group. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a big reason why a lot of people, a lot of leaders are pushing back on remote or hybrid work now because they're saying it's getting in the way of innovation. Yep. It doesn't have to get in the way of innovation if yeah. we are intentional about how we work together. But if you're going to wait for this just to kind of happen, it's not going to happen. And therefore, that's, I think, why they're pulling back. So once again, the keyword really is intentionality. It's not to say that with these new working models that the things that we previously did in the office cannot be done. It's just that, okay, it takes a rethink. It takes a design, to your point. It takes an intentional approach to get the same things done. And, you know, I always say that in many ways we've used the office as a crutch where the things that we wanted kind of happened organically. They happened by default. And now we actually have to orchestrate them. Okay, but that's fine. Yeah, for me, intentionality is the key word. And I've given some talks on this before. But if we can make our culture stronger by teaching managers 
how mm-hmm. to be more intentional with their behaviors, how to think about how individual behaviors reflect on the company culture, how to reinforce you know, the values that the company has. But it all takes intentionality. It has to be purpose-driven. Yeah. And it won't just kind of happen serendipitously. So... Which means it takes more work and which means that when we're already feeling overworked and stressed and busy, then these are the things that we don't do and therefore we complain that the system isn't working. But we need to sometimes take the time aside to prepare for the next chapter, which is obviously happening. And then do you see some companies that are doing this particularly well or just even elements of this? Well, I think a lot of the companies that were remote first to begin with and mm-hmm. always kind of understood the need to embed their culture in day-to-day behaviors. And so they were always really good at that. Yeah, I've worked with some clients where that has been the focus of our work when they were thinking mm. about, you know, what is our hybrid strategy? Yeah, How do we bring people together for moments that matter mm. as opposed to everybody has to be in the office, you know? So then we all sit on Zoom meeting. That, that's not motivating. So there has to be a greater purpose behind the, the why, where we are, and what's important about that. And so crafting that experience, I think we're at this really, really great inflection point where if we don't just try and rely on the crutch, we have to go back to the office because it was easier. We can really take on and, and bring forward that improved productivity that we saw Mm. in the beginning of the pandemic. A little bit of my concern is some of that improved productivity was because we were just working all the time because we had nothing to do, right? And we were worried for our jobs and, you know, we were trying to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So there's been a lot of negative around stress and burnout around that. But I think that if we only have people come together when it really matters, hmm. now you get this increased productivity because I'm not driving my car, you know, an hour to work, an hour home. I have more time for my mental health, for my to exercise or be with my family or, you know, to do something that brings me joy. So there are many great benefits to learn to effectively work but we have to embed those new behaviors because it's not just going to naturally happen. It's not just going to happen, but this is your call to action if you're listening to start implementing some of those remote first principles. So Edie, I think we could talk for a lot more hours, uh, but we are at the end of the time for today. I just wanted to ask you if there was one piece of advice or one wish for humanity that you could put on a billboard, what would it be? I'm going to give you two things. One is always be learning because Mm. the world is constantly changing. And if you're not learning, you're falling behind. And the other would probably be be kind to others. Mm. I think that's so important right now. Beautiful. Okay. Couldn't be a better note to end the conversation. Thank you so much, Edie, for being on today. Thank you for having me. It's been a great pleasure. It was great. What a great conversation with Edie Goldberg, the best-selling author of Inside Gig. Here are a few takeaways. 1. Employees want purpose. Now more than ever, employees want purpose and meaning. 
They want to make a positive impact on their team, their company or the world. And similarly, learning and growing, or as Daniel Pink says, mastery, can be very motivating. Managers can ensure that people continuously learn. The second insight is about remote culture, goals and motivation. Because we're not always together in hybrid and remote work, the sense of belonging is the glue that holds everyone together. People want a place to belong, so company culture is incredibly important, but it's also why goals are important, working together towards a common objective. Managers can help employees by having meaningful conversations about setting and achieving goals, which drives motivation, engagement and performance. Speaking of managers, we need to support managers better for successful hybrid and remote teams. First, to help them understand that management is about getting work done through other people, then training them well to do it and then recognizing them for success. We should also separate the leader of the work and the leader of the people. These are two different things that require different skill sets and interests. Don't make people take on work that drains them. And the final insight was around fractional work. Talent marketplaces like Fiverr and Upwork already connect people with work that matches their skills and interests. And ED believes we can apply that in a company too. Because we don't know or leverage all of our employees' skills, experiences, passions and interests. Even just giving them some time to opt into projects they're interested in could be a huge win for people, their teams and the company. And I also love Edie's final note. If you're not learning, you're falling behind. So let's all grow together as we lead our teams in the future of work. Definitely join me again in two weeks when I sit down with Dave Ulrich, the University of Michigan professor and the best-selling author who literally invented modern HR. We talk about leading people, leading ourselves and how to navigate the paradoxes of modern work. Go to flexos.work slash subscribe to be the first one to receive my latest articles and interviews.